Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Um, before we get into tonight's talk, I wanted to just make a couple comments in regards to the Supreme Court decision this past week. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about more in the message tonight. But I want to make a couple comments in, in light of the decision. One thing I want to make sure, if you are pro-life, people that are pro-choice are not your enemy. And if you are pro-choice, then people that are pro-life are not your enemy. And that's what culture wants us to do right now, to make everyone an enemy. And I just want to encourage us as believers, as followers of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, our goal isn't to look at someone with opposing views as an enemy and engage with them and interact with them and view them as an enemy. So I just want to encourage us as, as followers of Jesus, and not just as humans, to be honest with you. If you don't adhere to the Christian faith and you just happen to be in this space tonight, as human beings, we, we can't look at people with different views, even on a complex, very sensitive topic as as abortion versus no abortion. I just want to encourage that there's another way to engage with humanity outside of the lens of they are our enemy. So I just want to encourage us as people tonight in regard to the uh, light, in light of the decision that was made this past week. That sound good? Okay. Two of you. Okay. All right. <clears throat> the true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but imagination. Albert Einstein. The power of imagination created the illusion that my vision went much farther than the naked eye could actually see. Nelson Mandela. Reality can be beaten with enough imagination. Mark Twain. Imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. Lewis Carroll. Jesus had this amazing ability. He was able to take eternal truths. He was able to take these kingdom concepts, these ideas that are eternal in every aspect. He was able to take these things and to put them into stories. He would imagine them, he would imagine these massive concepts and I believe as Jesus experienced the human experience, he was able to take these large ideas and imagine them in a different light. And he would turn them into stories that we call parables. And these very parables continue to guide us today. The power of imagination is what I want to talk about tonight. I believe it's a lost art. What's interesting about the topic of imagination and creativity is most of us, when we hear that word, we think, in, we think in terms of creative expression such as art, music, song, poetry, dance, sculpture. And is it expressed in those avenues? A hundred percent. But the moment we reduce creativity to just that, we're missing a lot of humanity. If you've been a part of studio, or this is your first time, something that we champion here is we believe every human being, because you were made in the image of God, you have the ability to create. You may not express it in art, you may not express it in music, but there are ideas that transform societies. There are ideas that create economies. 
their idea that changed the way people do life. Their idea of how to raise one child versus how to raise your second child and your third child. The ability to imagine and create is applicable to every human being in this room and every human being that is listening to this. And I want to talk about this because there's actually an interesting statistic that is not new, but I think it's something we should be paying attention to. In the American context, I'm not familiar enough with other countries, other cultures at the moment, but specifically relating to the American context, there's a statistic that says since the 1990s, the, creative, the ability to create or be creative in our imagination had decreased in America. But what's gone up is our IQ. And it has to do with education and testing. They made a decision, the educational system made a decision in the 1990s, roughly almost the entire decade. The emphasis was switched over to how do we do better on tests? How do we have our children do better on tests? So the emphasis was put there. They say the SAT scores went up, but there's another form of testing that measures creativity, and that's been decreasing since the 1990s. And what's actually fascinating of reading this article and talking about, they were talking to Asian counterparts, and Asian counterparts were laughing at America, because they said, you guys are going back to what we used to do, and now Asia is actually ahead of us in areas of creativity. So it's a fascinating conversation, and, and I want to deal with this, because this isn't just applicable in the express, creative expression is, that we're familiar with, such as art and music, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually applicable to every aspect of our life. And Jesus had the ability to take this concept and imagine these stories, these beautiful stories. And as you look at his life, when we talk about the signs and wonders and miracles, there were some that were creative. And the ability to create something from nothing. So the very essence of Jesus living his life, he had an incredible imagination. He had an incredible ability to look at something and come up with a solution. It wasn't just a Russian roulette of power and one day it worked. No, he had the ability to engage with imagination. And through that, he was able to live the life that he lived. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I'll read it to you. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. As much as we love animals... Um, I love dogs. I have a hard time with the hair. I think I had a traumatic experience as a child. I was allergic to cats. So cat hair, I think, just got embedded into my soul, and I had this reaction to animal hair. I'm not allergic anymore, but it's just this traumatic response. I'm like, hair. And so I'm constantly vacuuming my house and my furniture because of animal hair. So I love dogs. And I mean, we all love dogs, at least most of us do. But dogs don't create Mona Lisa's. Dogs don't engineer and create bridges that span large bodies of water. Dogs don't create economies. I mean, beavers, they build dams, which is pretty cool, but they're doing that purely for survival. Spiders, they build webs that we marvel at in a beautiful orchestration of web, but they're not doing that for artistic expression. They're doing that just to survive. So we look at the animal kingdom and there's beautiful expression, but they're not doing it to create beauty or to create a better future. They're doing it just to survive. This is where humans stand out. In the context of everything that God's created, this is some of the distinctive differences between us and the rest of creation. The ability to use the gray matter in our skull to think of something that's not existing yet. 
And with that, we're able to create something from that. So this idea of imagination is something that's intrinsic. It's something that's unique to the human, to human beings. And I want to emphasize this throughout this talk because I, I want you to walk out of here with a bunch of things, but one thing is to stir up your imagination again. And I'm wrestling with this because we have, there's this interesting thing. I, I don't want to be critical or, or negative, but I want to be real and authentic about this. I struggle that sometimes our assimilation, our understanding of our faith in God seem to make us less imaginative. It seems to make us less creative. It's almost like we get flatter. We get less dimensional and we become black and white. And so when we look at the world, when we look at the variety of things that we're exposed to, we're trying to make everything almost too simple because our intellect, our intelligence, our ability to imagine is just tired or maybe it's lazy or maybe we don't realize that the God that created everything in existence the ultimate expression, the peak of imagination and creativity is actually living inside of us. This isn't a competition that Christians should be more creative. I believe God put it within humanity. But there's something missing when we talk about Christian, people that have given their life to Jesus, and why are they getting less creative? Why are they getting less imaginative? Is it the faith? Is it our faith in Jesus that's the problem? I would propose it's not. I would propose it has nothing to do with our actual God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It has to do with our assimilation, our mindset and paradigms around this. They did a study on children years ago. And there was a researcher, he wanted to study children and their ability to imagine and create. So he put them in a room and he put a bunch of marshmallows in front of them. And he said, you can't have any marshmallows until I come back. And he left the room. And I believe he was watching through a window or through a video camera. And the kids were in there. I mean, when you put marshmallows in front of a kid, I mean, everybody knows what the kid wants is to eat the marshmallow. Who doesn't want a marshmallow right now? And so, but he watched, some kids couldn't wait. They just like, and they just started stuffing marshmallows. But there were other kids that heard the instruction, don't have the marshmallows until they come back. And they watched kids tap into their imagination to initiate self-control. And some kids sat there and they took invisible marshmallows and just started feeding themselves. <laughs> it was their way to cope with the time of waiting. And other kids developed songs. They're, I'm still waiting, I'm still waiting. And what they learned is that imagination helped children to exercise self-control. Pablo Picasso said, every child is an artist. The challenge is for adults to remain that way. This is why in adults, we have a subset culture or subset group called creatives. I remember the, a young boy, I think it was in middle school, junior high, and my grandparents bought my brother and I, Hot Wheels, not the card, but the tricycle, the plastic low-riding tricycles. You like that? <laughs> plastic, though. Mine was Spider-Man and Brian's was Superman. I was Spider-Man guy. I just loved Spider-Man. But I remember when we got them, we actually loved our little Hot Wheel tricycles, but we loved the box that it came in. And those boxes became spaceships. It became a fort. 
It became a, a house. What's my point? Is our imagination took something mundane at the box and made it something amazing. That's intrinsic to human beings. Bono says this, U2's front man, he said, I've yet to create a song the way it sounds in my head. I'm like, well, that's depressing. <laughs> I mean, if you can't create what it sounds like in your head, what am I going to be able to do? But he's driven by this imagination of how things sound in his head. He can feel it deeply. And his entire life is trying to capture it so every human being can hear it and feel it. He's driven by this deep, deep imagination. The term creativity can, can, can be defined, the generally accepted definition is something that is original and useful. And it's, it's, um, there's never one right answer to it, but it gives us an idea. And to be creative requires what's called divergent thinking. It's generating many unique ideas. And then convergent thinking is able to take all of these small ideas and create something that we call the best idea. What's fascinating about divergent thinking and convergent thinking is when you and I are confronted with something, whether it's a problem or we need to fix something, part of our brain looks at the facts of the scenario and we try to find obvious solutions right away. But the moment our brain can't find a solution to what's in front of us, the other part of our brain gets activated. All of a sudden, these neural pathways begin firing across the entirety of our brain. It starts going back and forth. And what happens is certain part of the brain begin to access experiences, memories, articles you read, things you heard, things you watched that you didn't know that you actually remembered. And all of a sudden, your brain begins to access this this massive database that's just been stored in your gray matter and it's trying to pull some type of solution to solve what the other side of the brain is trying to figure out. And when it identifies an idea or a memory or something that could possibly solve this, the brain latches onto it. How many have ever had the moment where an idea came and it left and you didn't grab it? It's like, where did that go? That's what's happening in the brain. It's looking for something to hold onto. And once it grabs it, then the brain switches is geared. Instead of going divergent, it becomes convergent, and it takes all these little bits and pieces of information and thought and puts it into a single idea. And that single idea entered into our consciousness, and this is what we call the aha moment. How many of you have ever had that with the aha moment, and our brain gets incredible pleasure from that? When you have an aha moment, you're like, wow, that was, man, that was awesome. Because your brain was searching for a solution. So to be creative is the ability to be divergent in your thinking and then to be convergent to bring it into an aha moment. This is where imagination and creativity is, is circulated, is fostered, is curated. You might be asking, what, what's the point? And this is great. It's applicable. We live in a world today that is broken, that is hurting, that has some deep, deep issues. And the tendency for us as humans, and because most of us in this room are following Jesus, is we tend to run from them. We're like, as long as we're getting to heaven, we're good. And we have embraced this idea like, yeah, we just need to separate ourselves from what's happening in the world today. 
And I have no interest in hiding in caves. I have no interest in being a community of people that were content with just doing stuff inside the four walls of a brick building. <laughs> Studio is not birth or born with just that end in mind. We believe the foundation to bring in beauty to cities, to bring in solution to city, to bring in transformation to city, to birth out of the conduct of a people that are passionate about Jesus and are willing to dig deep into creativity and imagination to look at the culture and the world that we live in and actually bring restoration, redemption, and healing. I'm way more interested in that than anything else. So we have a dilemma. What's the dilemma? Our dilemma is that the gap between our Christian faith or the experience of our Christian faith seems to make it less imaginative. It seems to make it less creative. This was a little off topic. I'm just going to take a quick rabbit trail and I'll be back in a moment, I think. <laughs> but recently I said some stuff on my Instagram account that would actually, I would actually be quite shocked at the responses. And I learned something in the last couple of weeks that when you try to change the language, people think you're attacking their beliefs. When you try to rethink something that's super familiar, people think you're attacking the very core of what they believe in. So we alone already have this propensity to find and figure things out. But if we get imaginative, people feel threatened. It's like you're attacking my way of doing things, my understanding, my way of life. If that's what we want to embrace, we have no business stirring up imagination because imagination will just completely disrupt that. Creativity will completely disrupt that. I want you to turn with me to a passage in the Bible, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, um, in the future, I don't know when, I'm, I'm praying into it, but I, I have taught on the book of Daniel for at almost 20 years. I, I think I have preached more about Daniel and different things I've learned in the book of Daniel more than any other book in the Bible possibly, if not at the top five for sure. So at, at some point, we're gonna go through the book of Daniel together at some point. But tonight I felt I needed to just unpack some stuff in here because one of my greatest concerns is we live in a culture and a climate right now that if you're not on message, you get canceled. And so we have a fear that's running rampant within the hearts and minds of people. Like, if I'm not following the message of the day, I'm just going to go underground. I'm just going to hide in my caves. And I want to read a story to you in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. Young men without any physical defect good-looking, suitable for instruction, and all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Now, let me stop here. I am taking a pretty significant passage. The challenge that we read scripture, sometimes we, we read the scripture at its flat. We don't understand the nuance, and we don't understand what's actually happening within the story. What's happening in Babylon Empire was taking over God's children, the country. 
And there, it wasn't a handoff, it was a seizing. And what had happened is Nebuchadnezzar, he went back, the Greek call apostles. Jesus got the word apostle from Greek terminology. The word apostle meant to culturize someone or some place or some culture. So when a king took over a country through battle and through war, when they dominated a country, they would find the high qualified people in that culture, take them out of it, and then culturize them with their culture. And then they place them back within the country that they just dominate or just seize, and they would become governors, leaders, and people that help to run that country. So King Nebuchadnezzar said, go get me the best looking, no defect, smart, wise, knowledgeable, and people that have the ability to learn languages, literature, and customs. So Daniel happened to be one of them among Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a bunch of others. So as he brought them in, the goal was to teach them their language, to teach them literature, and that they would learn the customs of the Babylonian Empire. The other part of it that we have a hard time understanding and actually being connected to is the idea around what you ate and what you drank was reflective of what culture you represented. In the Western context, we don't eat food because of a religious belief. We eat food primarily because we care how we look. That's what it means in the West. Or maybe you want to feel healthy, but we don't do it because, oh, my face in God, so I only eat this food. And this is where there's a massive disconnect when you read stories like this. So what they did, they took Daniel and a bunch of young men said, you're going to eat the king's food and you're going to drink the king's wine. So what happened was, is now Daniel, amongst his friends, they recognized this completely violate their core beliefs. You and I would respond probably similar, like, I can't eat that. I'd rather die because if I eat this, it's a way of me denouncing my God. So this is the gravity of the situation. So Daniel, in this moment, he's trying to find a solution. One part of his brain looks at the facts and said, there's no solution. All of a sudden, his divergent thinking kicks in. He's like, all right, now we gotta, I got to find some solution because if I don't do this, they're going to chop my head off. The unit's going to lose his head. This is not a good situation. And for some reason, I feel like God has placed me in this environment, so I have to find a solution to this moment. So his divergent thinking began to run rampant through all the database in his gray matter, his brain. And all of a sudden, the divergent thinking found an idea, and the brain stopped and took that idea, brought it into its consciousness, and Daniel says this, I have an idea. Instead of me eating the food that you want me to eat, why don't you let me and my three friends eat what we want to eat, and at the end of 10 days, you can determine if we can keep eating this way or we follow your custom. And the eunuch replied, he said, I can't do that, I'll lose my head. And Daniel said, listen, just give us 10 days and let's see what happens. Somehow, somehow the eunuch said, fine, let's give it a try. So for the next 10 days, Daniel and his three guys, they ate what they ate and it was pretty much vegetables. Now what's really peculiar and doesn't make sense in the story is somehow they got fatter eating vegetables. I don't know what they got in them veggies back in the Babylonian Empire, but those kind of veggies do not exist today. But they got fatter and they obviously looked healthier. So they appear before the eunuch 10 days later, and the eunuch looks at them and looked at the other guy that had been feasting 
on the king's food. They've been eating at Michelin star restaurants for the last 10 days. They've been drinking the most expensive, exquisite wine any man could have hand, had their hands on for the last 10 days. And the eunuch looks at Daniel and his friend and looked at these guys and makes this statement later in the chapter. He said, you look healthier and you look fatter. And he said, you can eat whatever you want to eat. Why is this an important thing? Because Daniel came up against a cultural moment. He came up against something that violated who he is. And in that moment, instead of running, instead of trying to get out of the situation, he used his imagination to stay engaged in culture. And we have too many believers that are disengaging. This whole thing with Roe v. Wade, I'm pro-life. I'll make it clear, I am a pro-life person, but I am heartbroken that we think we won. We didn't win nothing. We're saving lives, I get it, I'm pro-life. But if we're thinking, man, we won, fine. That's not how we engage with humanity. It's not about winning and who's right. It's about restoration, redemption, and healing. Do I wish it didn't get overturned? No, I'm thankful for it, but I want you to hear me. We are engaging with who's right and who's winning. That's how political spirits operate, and that's how religious spirits operate. Who's winning and who's right? This is why it's so polarizing in culture, because culture is teaching us it's a war and there's your demon. They're demonizing the people on the other side of the aisle. So if you feel like we've won, we won nothing. We just inherited a whole nother set of problems. We just now unleashed a whole nother set of issues that we have to use our imagination and creativity to find good solutions to. So if you came up against this line and said, yeah, we won, and you're bailed, you're missing the point. Let your divergent thinking kick in and go, okay, how do I stay engaged? There's people that are deeply hurting right now. Downtown Greenville is having some activity. People are genuinely hurting. And if you're like, how we won, I, I, I don't even understand that mindset. I don't understand why, why do we have to win everything? Now, are there morals, are there truth? 100%, but this isn't about winning. This isn't about domination. This is about seeing redemption. This is about seeing humanity that's broken, get redeemed, get restored, and get healed. And their experience with Jesus followers, they lost. What's even more mind-blowing, there are people that are pro-choice that are die-hard believers. I have pro-choice friends. And I have pro-life friends. And that's why I said what I said beginning of the gathering. I said, guys, this isn't about, oh, you lost, and now you're my enemy. That's not how we function. That's not how we operate. We don't operate in that posture. We operate through the lens of, okay, how do we see redemption take place? How do we see restoration take place? And how do we see healing of broken humanity take place? But when you let the religious ideal dominate your posture, you're more about who wins. And when you're dominated by your political ideal, you're thinking who wins and who's right. Jesus didn't walk around saying, I won. I beat you, I won. 
He was always in the trenches. It doesn't mean he didn't stand for what's true. And please don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about don't stand for what you feel is true. But I'm saying, but we can't end there. There has to be the ability to use our imagination and creativity to stay engaged in culture. So we have an amazing opportunity, a very challenging opportunity in front of us right now. Do you know that our faith, the roots of the early church were a bunch of divergence? Our Christian faith was a fringe radical group that was completely rejected by society. And over time, it became an accepted religion. It's because a group of people heard a man named Jesus who offers something to the human soul that nothing could offer. That's called divergent thinking. Jesus offered a solution to humanity that was non-existent up until that point. And the people that put their faith in Jesus and who we traditionally call the early church, they were divergent thinkers. They recognized, wow, this man, it taught this. He died on the cross, rose from the grave, and now Paul is talking about grace. That is divergent. That is so foreign to any worldview that existed in that moment. And a group, a band of people said, we are latching onto that. And we get to sit here today because it's an accepted religion today. And we get to sit in this room without worry of the government coming in and making us stop. We get to worship freely. We get to buy as many Bibles as we want. We can give as many Bibles away as we want. That is what it's come to, but it didn't start there. It was a fringe radical group of crazy people. So this idea of divergent thinking, my challenge is, have we settled? Where's our imagination? So, what's the solution? How do we activate the imagination? It's actually very simple. How do you get your creativity? How do you get your mind to think outside the box? It can be as simple as changing your routine. Like tonight when you drive home, go a different route. Don't drive home the fastest, efficient, most familiar way. Pick a different route. Punch your address on Google Maps, and there's usually three options. Pick the longest way. Why? Because you're exposing yourself to something you're not familiar with, and sometimes in those moments, it activates something in your brain. One of the reasons why I love traveling, one of the reasons why I love traveling, whether it's down the road or around the world. I'm telling Candace this week that COVID has just shut down you know, international travel dramatically. And I'm like, I can feel this longing to see other cultures. This longing to see the world through someone else's lens. There's something about exposing yourself to how other people think. I never understood why Switzerland never engaged in war. I never understood. I don't understand that. I'm obviously an American. I'm like, when there's something wrong, we fix it. Whether that's a good foreign policy or not, it's a whole nother conversation, but it's so ingrained in us. Like, how can you watch this and not do anything about it? And I was talking to Candace and I were in Switzerland years ago, and the, all the ISIS stuff was happening, and we're like, they were upset at us, at the, like we represented all of America. Like, how come you Americans are in ISIS? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're getting raped, their head chopped off, shit. Like, why would we sit and watch this? 
And they told me a story, which I don't have time to tell. But now you're annoyed because I didn't tell you the story. <laughs> Do your own research, all right? You go travel and talk to some Swiss people. And they told us the story. I, I don't agree with it, but it helped me to understand their perspective on a complex situation. You see, there's something about exposing yourself to new experiences. Some of us haven't had a new experience in a while. Our life is just the same. So go see the world differently. Talk to someone that had a different color of skin than you and hear their story. Talk to someone that had a different cultural background than you do and ask them this question, tell me your story. Go to someone that's a different generation than you. Talk to someone that's twice your age or talk to someone that is just learning to talk. Tell me your story. <laughs> but there's something about exposing ourselves to new experiences, new cultures, and new people. Going home differently. If you are a routine person where you get up, you brush your teeth, you have coffee, you eat breakfast, you read the news and drive to the office and you do the same thing day after day, change it up. Do it in reverse. Brush your teeth last before you go to the office. But last, it's the last thing you do. That won't be me because I just can't do it. We had a discussion last week with the team. Do you brush your teeth right when you get up or when you leave the house? I'm like, right when I get up, it's like beeline for the toothbrush. But maybe but my imagination seems healthy right now, so I don't need to change it up. So. But change up your routine. So if you feel like you've hit a wall in your imagination of creativity, change up your routine and your rhythm. Find something that you're not familiar with. Take up a new hobby that you stink at. Expose yourself. There's a picture I want to put up on the screen. This happened just a, a couple months ago. And it's Tiger Woods and um, he's the goat. Jack Nicholas and him are the goats, plural. And what I want you to notice is everybody has their phone taking a video of this, except for the guy with the beer to his left. And this guy is just living in the moment with the Michelob Ultra. And I love this photo because everyone is so occupied in trying to video and look, take a picture, but this guy got his beer in his hand and he is just living this moment with Tiger Woods. Sometimes don't take a photo. Just enjoy the moment. What's funny about that guy, he's now sponsored by Anheuser-Busch. He's got a merch line. He's like an ambassador for this beer company now. It's, go read it. It's a very funny article. And the guy just this normal Joe. It's the coolest thing ever. I'm like, man, I wish that was me. That'd be weird if I was sponsored by a beer company, but you know, I'm in the South, so that works. Oh, that was funny. In my life, there are three cups of coffee. I love coffee a lot. And I make what's called a postmodern cappuccino. What that means is it may not qualify the proper cappuccino, but it's my cappuccino. Kylie, be quiet. <laughs> Kylie came over and said, that's a latte. I said, no, it's not. It's a cappuccino. And it's a postmodern one. I get to call it what I want it to be. 
But I love coffee, and I can, I can take you to three of my favorite cups of coffee I've ever had in my life. One in Nicaragua, one was in Norway, and the other one was in my house in Weaverville, California. I didn't take a picture of the moment, I didn't take a video of the moment, but I can recount the entire moment with you right now. There's something about our, our devices, are we slaves to our devices, or are they serving us? And something, there's something coinciding with our imagination and creativity that's connected to our inability to put our devices down. They say in America, they took a survey with 2,000 adults and you can't, they average would you can't go four minutes without touching your phone. This was like five years ago, so who knows what it is today. And I wonder if part of our lost art of imagination is we've let other things fill that space. And I wonder how many times we ask for God to show up and he's like, use your imagination. I wonder how many times we cry out to God, say, God, would you come do this? And God's like, you need to fight for your own imagination and creativity. You want me to rescue you from everything. Well, I put all the skills and the ability and the human capacity to use your brain, divergent thinking and convergent thinking to come up with something that'll fix the very thing that you've been praying, praying for. Thank you, Katie, I appreciate that. Some of you are like, wow, I, I want to challenge, I'm trying to land this thing, believe me, I'm trying to, trying to crash this plane. But I wonder how much of we cry out to God to rescue us, to save us, when he's like, use your, use your creativity. There's this really weird story in the Bible where Elisha goes to this guy, this king who's being attacked by an army, and he said, get your bow and arrow. And he tells the king, strike the arrow on the ground which is weird, it's like, okay. When prophets tell you to do things, you just do it, you don't know what you're doing, like, okay. So he takes these arrows and he hits the ground three times and the prophet is mad. Like you only struck the ground three times. There was no instructions on how many times to strike the ground. It was like strike the ground. So he did it three times and the prophet said, if you would have done it five times, you would have completely destroyed your enemy. But because you only did it three times, you're only gonna have partial victory. And I couldn't help but realize, I think he was thinking small. Just doing the bare minimum, tap, 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 is that it? Instead of giving it all and digging into the imagination of the impossible. Instead of just going all out, he just did the bare minimum. And I wonder how many times in our life we're just trying to just squeak by instead of diving into this, the ability to imagine so we can create solutions for the world that we live in. Thanks for listening. And we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week and we'll see you soon.